Lord, we thank you for the word. We thank you for your church and your presence. The promise that you have made, which you have regathered in your name, to be in the midst of us. We come here with an expectation, Lord, that our lives are, will be used by you in any way. For you have prayed that wherever we are, that your spirit is with us. You will lead and guide us into all truth. So I pray that you open the eyes of understanding, that we have come to know the truth that is in you, Christ Jesus, and that your word would be made known to us. And this morning, Lord, I pray that you would make us one in you, the same way that you are one with the Father and with the Spirit. In the name of Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. That they may be one is my topic today. It is in John chapter 17. We'll look at various verses in this chapter. But let's look at verse 22, which is our main text for today. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. That they may be one. His prayer to the Father, that they, meaning his disciples, meaning us, meaning the church that was and that is coming into existence after he, he ascended in our thinking and in our thoughts and in our lives and relationship, we should be thinking about the unity of the body of Jesus Christ. Because the Apostle Paul says, is the body of Christ divided? And if we start thinking about the unity of the church, our perception and our attitudes and our work and everything that we do will center around this motivation to bring the body together, to bring the body of Christ, not just together and be in existence together, but together as in being able to move and be fluid and be of the same mind, of the same heart, and of the same being, or essence. Why the church fathers were insistent in saying that God is one and not God is three, because it would have been simpler for them to say that God the Father God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are three. There is no trinity, there's just three God. It would have been simpler. But why did they insist that God the Father is not God the Son, God the Son is not God the Holy Spirit, but God the Holy Spirit is not God the Father, but God the Father is God, God the Son is God, and God the Holy Spirit is God. And the formulation by Augustine, all three are God. So. Why is the insistence on having them one instead of three? If we don't understand the reason why God has to be one instead of three, we don't see the significance why the Council of Nicaea said that it is only one God, the Trinity. The reason is, even though they exist in three persons, they don't have three separate thoughts and ideas and purpose that come together and compromise to make God God. They only have one. And that is why the insistence on the Trinity or the Trinitarian doctrine. In the same way, the goal of the body of Jesus Christ is to have one purpose, that we don't have various different purposes that we compromise and come together and have one. But the purpose of the church is to be said in this way, Jesus Christ lay out what the purpose of the church is. Or of the body is and we all come to an agreement that that is our purpose and therefore that make us united or 
becoming one in that way. Not that each one of us bring our own ideas into God and say, this is what I think it is, and that is what I think it is, and then we all come to some kind of consensus or compromise. So I hope that explains a little bit why unity in Christ is not the same as unity in that people come together and they tolerate each other. That's not what unity is. Unity is that we all believe and have one purpose and one mind and one essence, and that is Jesus Christ. And that is what unity, that's what we are trying to pursue. Let's take a look at the goal of Jesus Christ and why he wanted us to be one. Verse 3, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. This is the purpose that the introduction or the thesis of Jesus' prayer to God, and that they might have eternal life. And what is eternal life? Eternal life is to know God. Another way of saying this is eternal life is happiness. Man's pursuit of happiness is pursuit of eternal life, of life that is being complete and not wanting anything else. That's what happiness is. Happiness is when you found this one thing that makes you eternally happy, and that is eternal life. This is the purpose of Christ's coming, to give us eternal life, to give us eternal happiness. And how do we come to eternal happiness? Jesus Christ says that they might know God. So the knowledge of God is happiness. The knowledge of God is what makes us happy ultimately. We're not happy, we're still seeking, we're still searching. It's because we have not found God, have not come to know who God is. Think about God as the truth. Jesus Christ says in John 14, 6, he said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. If in all of our searching and we are looking for the truth, we're searching for meaning, and meaning means something that is the truth. And once you've found the truth, there's nothing else to look for. The truth will make you free, meaning now you are free from the toils and from the seeking and the searching if you know the truth. Truth is something that we don't have. That's why we are looking for the truth. If we have the truth, then we stop searching. But truth is something that we don't have, and therefore Jesus Christ has to come and show us what the truth is, and he says that, I am the truth. And once we have found the truth, then we know that that is the truth and everything else isn't the truth. And why is the truth important? The truth important because that's what we are looking for. That's who God is. God is the truth. And once we found the truth, we need to do one thing, and that is let go of the lies in which we are and then learn the truth. If we are interested in the truth, that is. If we're only interested in knowing the truth and not having the truth within us, then we still hold on to ourselves as the lies and as the things that are not true. But if we have seen the truth and we receive the truth, then we must let go of our preconceived notions, our ideas of what we believe to be true. Reason why Jesus say that they might come to know thee, the only true God, meaning to come to know God, we must learn God. We must involved in the education that the Holy Spirit is teaching. To know anything, we must learn. The process of learning requires, number one, an openness to have our pre-existing ideas challenged. Number two, your willingness to dump what is wrong. 
once you know something that's true, you need to let go of those things that are false. Third, the courage to fail in trying to learn something new. Learning is hard. Learning something that's different is hard. Learning something that's spiritual, that is otherworldly, is very hard. And we will fail. We fail many, many different ways. But if we're willing to learn and have our minds challenged, have the stuff that we hold on to now that's shown in the light and we see that it's no good, we need to be able to dump them. And then we need to learn to fail because learning to walk with God is hard. There are many times when we'll fail, but we need to pick up ourselves again and persist. Our sinful nature and rebellious nature will prevent us. We think that we know everything, but once we come to know Jesus Christ and He shows us this is the truth and challenge our pre-existing tendency and thoughts, we need to be able to move away from it, to be able to let go of those things and accept what Jesus is teaching us. The natural tendency for human is to be selfish. The natural tendency for human is to be perverse. The word perverse here in Acts chapter 2 verse 40 in the King James, the Apostle Peter says, save yourselves from this untoward generation, meaning this perverse generation. What it means is that the world and the world that we live in, even in some of our families, the way we teach our children are perversive to the truth of God. Because we've been taught this way, once Jesus Christ come into the world and into our lives, we need to let go, we need to be saved from this untoward generation this perverse way of thinking. In essence, what we need to do is we need to relearn. We need to have a new set of faculty to begin to learn the spiritual things. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20 to 23. And in there, he says that we have learned Christ. If we have known Christ at all, then our minds would have been changed. And we need a new mind to be able to learn the spiritual things. So, but ye have not so learned Christ and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on a new man in righteousness and true holiness. To learn Christ, to learn the truth, to have eternal life, we need to have our minds renewed, changed by learn Christ. To learn Christ is to believe in what he has said. It is not hard to know what Jesus Christ said. Turn to the Gospels. You look at all the letters if your Bible have words in red. You can read all of what Jesus taught. Those are the words of Christ. Do you believe? Do you understand? Do you receive what he is saying? To receive and to understand the things that Jesus Christ taught and say, we need to have a renewed mind. Why do some people, even some kids in your age group, when they read the Bible, they get it, they understand. They understand the significance of how those words affect and change their life. And then they have the motivation to change. And then you see some people read it and they don't. They see it as just words on a page. What is the difference? The difference is the minds. The minds are different. The, there are those that have minds, the minds of Christ, that the word of Christ come in and it makes sense to them. It changes them. Our minds being transformed to righteousness and true holiness. It changes us to become righteous in the way that we think not. We will act unrighteous sometimes, but change the way that we think and pursue righteousness and then holiness, true holiness. When we are in good standing with God, when we are right with God, if you are to appear before God today, what do you think? Have you accomplished? Have you done everything? Do you know Christ the way that you're supposed to know? 
can you be at rest when you stand before God today? Or you think, oh, this morning I was not too good. Last night, yesterday, I said a few things I shouldn't have said. Despite all those things, if you're standing before God, how do you feel? Now, to know God or to have learned Christ, to have that rest in knowing that if you die today or if you stand before God today, you're totally fine. You're at rest. I'm okay. The righteousness of Christ will cover me. And that is happiness. If you have a sin that no one knows, that you kept for a long time a secret, and even though you move and you interact with people on a daily basis, sometimes you're reminded of that thing that no one knows, and you know it's really bad. And then your joy will turn to sorrow. You worry. Because one day, someone's going to find out, and you'll be ashamed. Happiness is to not have any of those things. Happiness is true holiness, is righteousness. If all your life today is an open book, if everything that you do is put in front of everyone, you're totally fine. That is true happiness. Christ is an open book. Jesus Christ. He was. Everyone saw where he lived, what he did on a day-to-day basis. There is no darkness or evil or anything in his life that he needs to hide it from anyone. And so that is what righteousness and that's what true holiness and that's what happiness is, is that there are no fear in your life. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. So three lessons we can glean from this. God cannot be known outside of Jesus Christ. None of us can know God without Jesus Christ. You ask, what about the people in the Old Testament? They don't know God to the extent that they should know God. And that is why Jesus Christ, the Messiah, had to come. If they are able to know God to the extent that they can be saved, then Jesus Christ would not have to come. We cannot know God outside of the man Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person in the Trinity. And the reason why I say that is because God himself, the second person in the Trinity, had to leave where he was, come down to us, the apostle Paul says, who had gone to heaven as to bring Christ down. No one. He had to come to us. There's no way for us to get to God. Jesus Christ had to come down and bring God's, not only God's presence, but God's essence to us. No one has been to heaven. Jesus came down. He is the only way for us to know God. And that is what separates us Christians from every other religions in the world because no one else came from heaven except Jesus Christ. He was and he is the only person that has access to God. And if you're not walking in Christ, you cannot come to God. He is the way. To know God, we must learn Jesus. His prayer in verse 6, Jesus outlined three lessons. Number one, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. The first thing Jesus gave disciples and in effect to us is God's name. That name is Emmanuel. Jesus revealed that name to his disciples and Emmanuel means God with us. In revealing God's name, what he's saying is this, that he is revealing to them the truth. And what is the truth? That God is here with them. When Moses saw the burning bush, God sent Moses back to deliver the people from Pharaoh. The first thing he asked God, what should I tell them? Who 
who are you? What, what name should I give them so that they would know that I'm coming from God, their, their God? And God responds, I am the I am. That's what he re revealed to Moses. And the significance of this is that this is the first time in the biblical history that God's actually revealing a name, a, a name given to a people so that they can call on his name. Of course, the Israelites, and we'll try to be careful with this to be respectful of the tradition, and that when they speak of God's name, they dare not pronounce it. So they take all the vowels out of the name, and they only put the consonants together, and that's spelled Y-H-W-H. -H. So when Moses went to the people, he gave them the first recognition of God was the deliverance of his name to the people. So he came to the people and gave them God's name. And that was the first thing that was given to them. Jesus Christ is doing exactly the same thing here, but eternally. So when he came to us, the first thing he gave to us is God's name. And Jesus Christ was born, was given the name Emmanuel. It's not that I am the I am, like in the Old Testament, but now I am with you. I am with you. And that is the name that's given to us. Meaning, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to worry. I am with you. I will deliver you. I will save you. In the Old Testament, God says, it is me. I am the God. In the New Testament, I am here. I am with you. I will save you. I will deliver you. The revelation of God's name is the first lesson that we know. Unless you know God's name, unless you know the name of Jesus Christ, the gospel declares that those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If God has not given us his name, then whose name should we call upon to be saved? It is very important that we know this name. And it's very important that this name is given to us. There's a story in Acts. There are seven sons of one named Sceva. And they went about, they heard about Paul, they heard about Jesus, and they went about and casting out demons. I cast you out in the name of Jesus Christ, and in the name of Paul. Paul I knew, Jesus I know, but who are you? It's not that we can take the name of Jesus and we say it, the name has to be given to us to use. We just can't take his name and use it without his permission. So the name has been given to us to call upon to be saved. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me. So the second lesson is that we actually belong to God. We as in those that God has chosen from the foundation of the world. We belong to God. And God has given us to Jesus Christ to take care of. I am the good shepherd. God has given you to Jesus Christ to protect, to lead, to guide, to teach. Jesus Christ is praying to the Father, saying that these people, the people that has given to me, except for one, and who was that, the son of perdition? Judas Iscariot. He said, these, Jesus said, the twelve that you are given, except for one, the son of perdition, that God has given to him to take care of. In his holy trinity, before the creation of time, has chosen us out of the world and has given us to Jesus Christ, incarnate when he was on earth, to take care of. And Jesus Christ went and found these disciples, except for one, the son of perdition, and took care of them. 
And he said that, Thine they were, and thou gavest them me. I'm taking care of those that you have given to me. And that's the second lesson, meaning you have been chosen from the foundation of the world by God, given to Christ to take care of. And the third lesson is that those that you have given, meaning those that God has given to Christ, have this mark on them. And this is the mark. He said, and they have kept thy word. This is the mark of those that has been chosen by God. Those honor, respect, and keep the word of God. That is the mark of those that have been chosen by God and given to Christ. To glorify God on earth. In verse 4, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work thou gavest me to do. Glorifying God through work. How does he do this? So the purpose that God's chosen us and has given us everything that we need to live a godly life and righteous life in true holiness is so that we would glorify God. To glorify God on earth is to finish the job that he's given us to do. This is how the Father is glorified. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Jesus Christ glorified God because he finished the work. This is how we glorify God, is that we finish the work that God's given to us. We had the award yesterday. You were, in essence, glorified. Each of the students were glorified. And when you are glorified or when you're honored, you have been given a token that signify what you have done. All the students, they were either given a pin or they given a plaque or they given some kind of token that says, we honor you. And the only way for you to receive that honor is to finish your book. If you don't finish the book, you get the certificate of participation, a form of lesser glory. But the highest honor is given to those who have finished the work. And Jesus Christ is the first one that finished the work. And the Father is glorified when the Son finishes the work. And this is why it is important for you and I to finish the work. Without the completion of the work, there is no glorification. In Christ, it is the same. Glorification is to finish the work that God has given to us, each one of us. I'm not saying that the work has to be perfect. None of us can perfectly do anything except for Jesus Christ. But we can finish the work, meaning we don't abandon the work. Any student in any class, if they show any kind of progress at all, they will be honored. What is the work? The work for the church is to be united with Christ. This is the work, is to be united with Christ. And just as the Godhead is united in the Trinity, the church must be united to reflect God's image, that they may be one as we are, in verse 11. That they may be one as we are. Not just be one just like the world is, but to be one just like God is in the Godhead. That is the image of the church, and united in God through Jesus Christ. How to unite? I kept them in thy name through relationship. We are bounded together, we are united together because we all call Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. We have a relationship through Jesus Christ. Through education, verse 14, I have given them thy word, meaning I have taught them the word. Through prayer, in verse 15, he said, I pray that thou should keep them from evil. We are united when we pray for one another, when we keep each other in prayer. 
We are united through the truth. In verse 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The thing that would unite us is that we all agree on what the Lord says. The doctrine, the teaching of Jesus Christ, we believe to be true, and we hold this true and evident. And lastly, through evangelism, in verse 18, I have also sent them into the world. When we work together through evangelism, we are united in Christ. That brings us happiness. That brings us joy. When you finished your book, was it easy? No, it's not easy. Are you happy that you finished the book? Let's say you work really hard, you finish your book, and the whole award night is only for you. No one else finished their book. No one else did any work to completion. And we all come together and we just honor you. Would you be happy? I didn't think so. So happiness really is outside of us, isn't it? Happiness is when you're there, when you go, you got to study this. You got to finish this book. Happiness is when you are able to get someone else to finish. Happiness is when you stand there with all your friends and you feel really sad that one didn't finish the book. And that just breaks the joy. That just breaks the happiness. That's what happiness is. Happiness is when we are able to help each other to finish, help each other to accomplish what the Lord has asked us to do. And that's why we are here. And that's why we help each other. Imagine the teachers how they feel when all the students finish their work. I even go to an extent of giving them huge incentives so that they, because I want to see them. I, I'm not them. If I'm them, I, I'll do the work if I could. But I'm not them. They have to do the work. And we try so hard to make sure that the people around us finish the work and that makes us really, really happy. That's what true happiness is. It's not that you finish, but everyone else in your care finish. The glory Jesus prayed in verse 22 Jesus prayed that the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them. That is what unity is, is that everything that I have, I want you to have. I want you to have that. I want you to have more. Greater work shall they do because I go to be with the Lord. This is the heart of Christ. They, he wants us to be greater than him. He wants us to do more, to travel more, to cover more distance, to bring more disciples, and to have less sons of petitions. Because Christ returns to the Father. In verse 11, he says, And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. The prayer of the high priest. He's saying, he's going to be with the Father, and therefore the thing that will keep us going and continue to finish the work is the unity becoming one in the body of Jesus Christ. Last point, happy in Christ. Eternal life or happiness is not embodied in ourselves, but in the triune God, the body of Jesus Christ. Our true happiness must be outside of us. True happiness is when we see the body of Christ prosper. You're sitting here in this room and every chair in this room is filled with people who love Jesus Christ. Every person in, in this room loves you, loves each other unconditionally. Can you imagine that? That is much greater than the individual. That's greater than ourselves. 
united with God through Christ. True happiness is the relationship of the triune God between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is true happiness. God does not need us to be happy. God does not need us to exist. God is complete because God is united in the Trinity. To have eternal life, we must be united with God. And because God is happiness, God embodies happiness. For us to be happy, we need to be united with God. Outside of God, no happy. United with God, then we will be united with happiness or eternal life. The only way to be united with God is through Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. The only way to be happy is to be with God, and the only way to get there is through Jesus Christ. No one else. No other names have been given to us. Secondly, we need to be united in the body of Jesus Christ to walk in Christ, because the body of Christ is Jesus Christ. Christ is the head, and the body of Christ, meaning the church, is the only way for us to be united with Him. The issue that we face today is that Christ has ascended to the Father. He's no longer here. He left behind instruction for the church to follow on how to be united with Him and ultimately to be united with God. So that instruction is the church. The church becoming one, united together. Then we are the body of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the head. As we come together and united in the body and Christ is the head, we are complete in Christ. And now we can come to God. Does that make sense? And God is happiness, and we come into God, and therefore have our being, our happiness. In verse 22, And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. So the body receives the glory from the head. When the head is anointed with oil, what happens when you pour liquid on the, the head? It becomes wet, and then... If you pour a lot of liquid on the head, what happens? It goes down into the body. Yes. And think about the oil is God's glory pouring on the head of Jesus Christ. Do you know what the term Christ means? The anointed one. Yes. He is called the anointed one. And the reason why he's called the anointed one is because God anoints Christ. And that anointing falls on the body, which is the church. So we become glorified as God pour the anointing over Christ's head. Imagine this image. The body of Jesus Christ is not united. And the body of Christ is everywhere. Your hand is over there. Your feet are over there. Your body is somewhere else. And right here in the middle is Jesus Christ, the head. And the body is everywhere. When God pours that oil on Jesus Christ, will that oil fall onto the body? No, it can't go onto the body because the body is separated. So Jesus Christ says, you need to be united. You need to come together as one so that the anointing will fall on the head and to cover the body. If the body is everywhere, disjoint, ununited, then the anointing or the glory cannot be there. Believers should be united in the same manner as the Son is united with the Father. What is this unity mean? It means to have the same mind, the same will, and the same purpose. We can't come together, and the reason why we become separated because we hate each other. That could be a strong word to say, but sometimes it's disagreement. I don't like the way that that person says this about me, and so we stay away. 
Another reason why is because we don't like the way that that person look. You know, that person just look evil. That person just look like it's gonna steal something from me. There are various ways, but those subtleties will separate us. We need to have the same purpose, the same goal, the same mind as the rest of the body of Jesus Christ. They do not compromise toward an agreement, but they have the same purpose and the same will. The unity of God means that they have the same purpose. They don't come to an agreement on a purpose. They have the same one. For us, the same. Our agreement has to become that we believe in the Word of God, we believe in the ministry of Jesus Christ, we believe in the relationship that God wants us to have is one in Jesus Christ. They seek to honor one another. They have an unbreakable bond of love, even surpassing that. Even though the 12 disciples were they in agreement with Jesus Christ, not all the time. The thing that Jesus Christ did that brought everyone together was his death. His death brought the church together. And after he has risen from the dead, the body came together without Christ being there physically. All the disciples were willing to be killed, to be martyred. So the death of Jesus Christ caused you to say, you know what, I feel this way about you, but I'm willing to love you because Jesus Christ died for me. So we are willing to let go because of the death of Jesus Christ. United in the love of Christ, to be one is to make declaration of love. In verse 26, let's look at the last verse here. I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. The true body of believers is not a place where everyone gets together. The true body of believer exists in the love that we share among us. That is the true body of Jesus Christ. It is the love that God the Son, Jesus Christ, loved the Father unconditionally. On the cross, when the Father turned his face away from the Son, and Jesus Christ says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? There is never a moment in Christ's human and divine form that he rejected his Father. He loved his Father until the end. That love, even through rejection, was the only bond that held everything together. And that love that exists in the body of Jesus Christ, it must exist in the body of Jesus Christ because we're all different. And we all rub each other the wrong way at different times. But if the love of Jesus Christ exists in us, then we would be able to, and when we will be able to see and be able to love each other despite these differences, and that what makes us one. When we have love, we are united. True happiness comes when we see others come to a greater knowledge of God. To know God is to help others. Knowing God is eternal life. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you. We give you glory. We give you honor. For you are the God that gives us hope, that join us together, that gave us the purpose as we are now looking toward the future and the unity of the church, the bond of perfectness, of love that exists in the church, may we become the extension of your work and your ministry, that we would love each other, that we would care for each other, we help each other beyond 
where we have been and to see each other grow and come to the perfection of our understanding, our knowledge, our love for Christ. In your name we pray. Amen.